We come boldly before your throne this morning. I just thank you, God. You are, you are almighty God. You are the king of all kings. Father, we come in reverence. We come in awe of you. We come in honor of you, God. And we come expecting great and mighty things, God. Lord, we have gathered here together, Lord, and we love the fellowship, and we love what God does when he puts God's people together. It's fun. It's joyful. There's connection. And Father, we thank you for that fellowship, but Father God, we need you. We have come today because we need you. Father, your people are starving for meat. They need the meat of the gospel. And the reason we're here today is because we're looking for depth and the power of the Almighty. And you will not disappoint us, Lord. You will not disappoint us. We will meet with Almighty God today. We will hear truth and it will set us free. We will find the power of God and the truth of the gospel. It is a promise and we stand on it and we praise you, God. Jesus, you walk among us today. Holy Spirit, you consume us today. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for being here with us. And we thank you that you leave with us too. We praise you. Now, Father, take these words. Fill them with your spirit. Fill them with your spirit, God. This is a sword. And it is mighty and powerful, God. And we, 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 we enter the study of your word with the gravity with which it is. And we know the power of it. And we thank you for it, God. We're going to use it for your glory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Okay, this is, I have a lot today. So, um... I want to start, I'm just going to jump right in. I want to start, where we're starting with our opening scene and where we're starting in the scripture, it is a man who is terribly, hopelessly stuck in his life. He's in a situation in his life where he is completely stuck. There's no way out. It's, it's a hopeless situation. It is very much impossible. Uh, they're being abused and mistreated. They have no voice. They have no recourse. They have no power. They are absolutely powerless. And he is in terrible depression. He is, in a, he is in a depression that he cannot get out of. And he's in a depression because it's actually a hopeless situation. They did not have a way to get food. Anytime they would try to even grow things in secret, they would come in and wipe it all out, steal it all, take it all. Um, they were, they were, their families would just be taken, their livestock, they're as desperate as you can think. And this man is trying to find a way to get a little bit of, of wheat, and he's so scared that the food will be stolen that he climbs into a well. And he's down in this well trying to, and the way you thresh wheat is you throw it up and the air takes away the light stuff. There's no air in the well. I mean, it's like literally impossible, but he's just any way to get a little bit of food. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this situation that's completely impossible, he's completely powerless, worse than anything we've ever known, right? In the middle of this situation, an angel appears to him. And it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. The man's name is Gideon. But Gideon is so depressed his response to an angel, all of a sudden showing up in the middle of a well, is, sir, if the Lord's with us, why has all this happened to us? He doesn't say, oh my goodness, there's an angel in the middle of the well. He doesn't say, oh my goodness, he said I was a hero and I was mighty and the Lord is with me. He's too depressed to be able to hear it. Have you ever been there? Too depressed, too low, too broken to be able to hear it. So he's like, why haven't you shown up? Where have you been? Which I can't imagine the first time you see an angel that this is your response, but it shows you how bad off you are. 
And listen, that helps us because sometimes we're, we're really bad off and we're missing what's right in front of us. So he says, where are all the miracles? If God is with us, where are all the miracles? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? The Lord has abandoned us. Okay, that is Judges 6, 12 through 13. The um, podcast people are very much getting on to me because I forget to read the things. And podcasters, I'm trying really hard. Our, our podcast goes all over the world, and we have a lot of people who listen, so I'm really trying to be good about it. But anyway, okay, so this is a pretty bad depression. It's interesting. God brought this scripture to me. Of course, I've heard it a million times. But God brought this scripture to me because I was in my closet saying some very similar things. Not because I'm depressed, but because I feel a little desperate about our situation in the church. I feel a little desperate about our situation in America and the world. And so, this is what I was standing in. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater because I'm going to the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I'll do it. Anything. You're going to do what Jesus has done and greater. And just not that long ago, two weeks ago, might have been in the middle of COVID, I can't remember, but I was saying, um, God, where's that? Because listen, we've seen some great works in Spirit Rising Ministry, and we've seen healings, we've seen people set free of demons, we have seen prophetic work, we've seen some pretty great things. But compared to what Jesus has done in greater, uh, and anything I ask, no, that's not really happened. And so, like Gideon, not in the same desperation, but really, all night long that night, I was like, God, where is this? Where is this? I keep coming back to this. Where is this? And the next morning, the Lord was like, you know, disappointment is very dangerous. And that disappointment with Gideon had literally made him kind of crazy, right? I mean, he really was, his response is kind of, you know, there's an angel there and he says these great things about you and you can't receive a, a minute of it. It makes you not be able to receive the power of the gospel. The gospel starts to become dead to you because you're disappointed. But the Lord, the next morning, we were in prayer with Spirit Rising, and the Lord said to me, go to Gideon. Remember Gideon. Remember the story of Gideon. You want to know where the power is. Don't you remember Gideon asked the same question? Where's the power? So what the Lord showed me is there are steps to the story of Gideon, and I'm going to go through them as much as I can that lead to the power of the miracle, the overcoming the impossible that you are powerless against through Gideon. And the very first thing he, that God tells him to do is this. The night after the angel appears to him, the Lord says to him, take a bull from your father's house, go pull down your father's altars to Baal, get the idols gone, cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it, then build an altar to the Lord your God here on the, on the hilltop, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull where the altar to the demon, to the demon or the idol used to be. And so he does it in the middle of the night. He goes, he cuts, he kills the cow, he cuts down the bale, he cuts down the Asherah pole. And the next morning, what happens? The people wake up. This is Judges 6, 25, 26, 29, 30. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> I'm trying. Okay, anyway, the next morning, the first thing he says to do is get rid of these idols. And this, the, the next morning when the people woke up and saw that the idols had been torn down and cut down and destroyed, they said, well, you can't see because of this thing in the middle. It says, bring your son Gideon out. They found out, somebody saw, figured out that Gideon did it. They say, bring your son Gideon out. We're going to kill him. When you mess with people's idols... They will hate you for it. Unless they have a heart for God, they will hate you so bad they want to, they want to kill you. It's they want death to you. But here's the thing. What God was saying to me is, he wasn't talking to me about tearing down anybody else's idols. He was talking to me about tearing down my own idols. So easy to look at everybody else's idols. But if we don't have power in our lives, we got some idols to deal with. Here's the thing. We often think that a pattern of sin, we focus on the sin. Why do I keep sinning? Why do I keep sinning? 
what the Lord revealed to us in this process of this whole Gideon study, the Lord revealed it's, you're focusing on sin, but the problem is you have an idol. So, for example, sin is a fruit of an idol. An idol is anything you put before God. It's any other God before God. And the fruit of, of, an, of idolatry is sin. You can't have sin without an idol. So, it, let's, for example, let's say you have a problem with jealousy. Well, probably your idol is materialism. You've made, you've made what people have, what, what you want. Let's say you have a problem with anxiety and worry, and people will say, well, I, I can't help it. It's just who I am. I'm just an anxious person. Really? You think God made you that way? No. You have a problem with anxiety. You have a problem with worry. You have an idol. It's probably comfort, security, not being scared to death that, that you might be uncomfortable. Security might go. You, you might have a problem with gossip, being disingenuous, being a chameleon, changing depending on who you're around. I know this is a big problem in the church. You might, not, you might have a problem with not standing up against evil when you're in enemy, enemy territory. You won't say a word. That's the case. You've got an idol of the fear of man. You care more what somebody thinks than what God thinks. You'll let them say any bad thing against God, and you'll sit there like a mouse because you care more about what they think than God thinks. Listen, you have a, you have a, an idol of, you have a problem with pride. You have an idol of image, what people think of you. There, there, there are idols that before we can be powerful. See, we're saying, where's the power? Where's the power in my life? Why hasn't God done this for me? We, we've all sounded like Gideon. Well, you can fill in the blank. I want to see more power in the church and in the ministry, but you might need to see it. There was a time I needed to see power in my marriage. There was a time there have been different things I need to see power for, and I've had moments like this where I'm like, where is it? Why isn't it showing up? I'll tell you why. Because God will not operate out of your place of dual worship. The very first two Ten Commandments are, first two, there's ten. He takes two of them up and he get, makes them the first two. Have no other God before me. You must make for yourself, you, mu you must not make for yourself any kind of idol. First two out of ten. And then we say, where's the power? Well, what do you really worship? And be honest, because your emotions will follow what you worship. If you are not at peace, if you are unhappy with your life, see, we know that when you, walk, when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown in prison, and they were filled with joy, and they were filled with power. So the lie that you're unhappy because of where you are and what's happening, and poor me, are you beaten, are you in prison, and you still have power, and you still sing for joy? And by the way, when they did that, what happened? The miracle came. When they really lived in the power of Almighty God... The miracles followed. That's what Gideon was saying. That's what I'm saying. Really? The power is available. The problem is not God. It is us. And usually it's an idol. Tear it down. Step number one with Gideon. Tear down that idol. Here's the thing. With every single outcome of our life, everything that's happening in your life, everything that's happening in my life, every single one of us, there are two dueling. There is a, a, a spiritual wrestling match for the outcome of how this thing goes. We just think it's us, our choices are, no, no, no. It is not just us and our choices. Heaven and hell are fighting over how this thing ends up. Heaven and hell, and both sides are speaking to you and saying, handle it this way. No, handle it this way. Handle, handle it in anxiety and fear. No, handle it in faith. Handle it in power. So, the Bible tells us, be sober. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, self-discipline. First of all, be serious. Stop being so frivolous about your relationship with God and your faith. Be sober. Be self-disciplined. Be alert. Be cautious at all times. These are war terms. Ask Josh, special forces. If you're not like this out, out there, you're dead. 
Because if you're at war and you're not sober, you're not self-disciplined, you're not alert, you're not cautious, the enemy, like it says here, the enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking if he can devour you. He's looking at that particular situation and saying, can I destroy her with it? Can I destroy him with it? Can I devour them? See, it's up to you. The, 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 the word can has one factor, you. Your free will. What are you going to do? The same time, 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are blameless towards him. You've got Satan roaming the earth. You've got God roaming the earth. Also, you have God saying, Can I show myself strong on their behalf? Wait, God has to say, Can I? Yeah, free will. But it's up to us. How is the outcome of your thing, your, your story, your situation going to be? Is it going to be powerful or is it going to be defeat? Are you going to be crushed or is there going to be a great victory, even though it's impossible? Up to you. Two spiritual forces at work. And we are, we are uh, um, very ignorant about the spirit realm in a way we should not be. So I will be starting next time a series on angels, demons, the Holy Spirit. We need to work in the power of the supernatural. We're not supposed to be one-dimensional people. We are supernatural people. But I'm not going to jump into that now, but that's coming. That's what's coming because we have to understand the, the war. But I can't teach. We can't talk about angels and demons and all of that when this first step is not in place. Because then you're saying, well, why aren't things working out? Why is this happening? Well, because you haven't dealt with your idols, first step, and we're going to talk about the rest of the steps. You, you've got to understand, the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He's hoping you'll agree with him. But it says that Jesus came, that we could have and enjoy life and have it to abundance, to the full, to overflow. Is your life abundant? Is it full? Is it overflowing? If your life is not abundant, full, and overflowing, you have a power problem. And it's not that the blood of Jesus is not strong enough. It is not that he has failed you. You got something you haven't dealt with. And listen, we're so blind to ourselves. We really have rose-colored glasses on to ourselves. So we're really sure that the problem isn't that is something that we've done. God, why haven't you? That's what Gideon said. Of course, they were in that situation because of sin. It said earlier in the chapter. Their sin. Their failures. Their idols. So that's step number one. Then the next thing that happens, Judges 6, 33-35, soon afterwards, the armies of Midian and a bunch of other people, a bunch of armies come against Israel. And they cross the Jordan and they camp in the valley of Jezreel, where all of Israel can see these massive armies coming against them. And then what happens? Here's step number two. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. And then he blows a ram's horn and everybody comes. Step number two is being clothed, clothed with power by the Holy Spirit. Now that is a whole, a whole probably series. I don't know how many it's going to take. But that is not something we're just going to say. You have to be clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is something that we will circle back about. This is vital. To be filled with the Spirit of God, is the, you can't go into war without it. You're not filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You, don't, you, you, you are not shooting with bullets. So, you're, you're, you know, you got rubber bullets. You're, just stay home. You've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. So, but that's, that's a talk for a second day, but that is step number two. So then the next thing that happens, Judges 7, 2 and 3, it says, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midians, the Israelites will boast to me that they've saved themselves by their own strength. They'll think they did it. We like to think that we did it. Therefore, the people... Tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid, go home. And 22,000 people left. 22,000 people are afraid. 
Only 10,000 people have a backbone in this story. Now, there's a reason 22,000 left and we're scared to death. Because it's like, um, I should have asked Josh a, a good analogy, but the, the army is like the army of, of China. You know, I think, I mean, that's like as many people as far as you can see. This, this army has camped down below. They can see this army. They're up above. And it's as far as the eye can see, the Bible says. You can't see the end to how huge this is. Millions of people. It's multiple kingdoms coming together. And this kingdom is so small, that, and they've been starved. They have no weapons. There's, there, are, there is problem after problem after problem. They, got not, they, they had taken all their weapons. They don't even have a weapon. They, they weren't even let them have pitchforks. And, so they don't have weapons. They're outnumbered like a million to one. It's impossible. It is impossible. And when you lose, you're tortured to death and die. So there's a reason they're afraid. They're not just wimps. The odds are completely against them, and it's really bad. So the reality is they're not being, the reality is they're dealing in reality. They're dealing in reality. So when the reality tells them this is terrible, they believe it. So they're afraid. This is not really my point today because I want to focus on us, not other people. But there is a lesson here. Be careful who you go into battle with. Because the people who are afraid, they'll get you killed. <laughs> Josh is wagging his head. They'll get themselves killed. You know why? Because the Bible tells us that fear is a demonic spirit. It says, I did not give you the spirit of fear. And if you're following a spirit of fear, you're following a demonic spirit. And what did it just tell us? It told us that Satan comes to kill, steal, destroy. First thing he wants to do is kill. <coughs> so you follow fear. You think you're saving your own hide. It's leading to death. So, so the, there's a reason they're afraid. But God says, fearful people can't win this battle. I can't use them. That you want to you have more faith in the spirit of God and the spirit of fear than the spirit of God, you're better off at home. There's a thing called facts, and there's a thing called truth. We base facts on science. They're observable. I remember when I was young, you know, nutrition, we all know science and nutrition is changing every five seconds, right? Well, we won't even we won't even bring COVID into that. I heard the. I'm just saying it's changing all the time. But I remember when we were kids, they were like, "Oh, the the, you know, don't eat watermelon. It has no minerals and an iceberg lettuce." Do you guys remember that? No iceberg lettuce. No. They said it has no nutritional value. No. Well, of course, and that was a fact. They told us it was a fact. Don't eat it. It's a waste of of sugar. And well, now they found that both iceberg and lettuce and and uh, watermelon, they have these minerals you can't get anywhere else. And they are absolutely some of the most life-giving minerals, but that was a fact. Uh, we've had Pluto, was that what it's called? Pluto, yeah, Pluto, being kicked out of the solar system as a planet. For, for a long, long, long time, it was a fact that that was a planet. Uh, listen, this is just something I copied down. I really don't know why it's been kicked out or added, because... I'm pretending like I know anything about science. I don't. But what I do know is science is constantly presented to us as this is a fact. This, these are facts. You can trust them. This is, this is truth. No, facts are not truth. Truth, there's only one truth. And it is the word of God. And that's why Satan tries to come after tearing down the word of God as truth all the time. Because if you know that the only truth, that the facts will change constantly. And we cannot base our life on them. But the truth will never change. And it never has. Not since the beginning of time. It has never changed. So we have got to make our decisions. When we're making really hard decisions in really impossible situations, we base them on the truth. And the truth is whatever God says, whatever the word of God says. See, what we do when we hit a terrible situation, we pick, we pick up the phone and we call our girlfriend and we say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I have no choices. I have no options. My back's up against the wall. I have no idea what I'm going to do. 
And when we say it's impossible and I have no choices and all those things, those are the facts. But the Bible says that that's not the truth. And the problem is you're asking the wrong question. The question is not what am I going to do? Not if you're a child of God. The question is, God, what are you going to do about this? God, I can't do anything about this. I mean, he puts me in situations over and over and over again where I'm like, there's a lot, not a thing I can do. And, and I'm trying to get better. And I think I've grown at when these situations happen. I think I still might say, what am I going to do at first? But I think that the time in between of God, what are you going to do, gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And I think I now know, God, you're not going to fail me. What are you going to do, Lord? How are you going to fix this? See, <laughs> there's a story about Jesus, and it's a very strange story because it kind of sounds a little bit like torture. It might sound like this is a crazy head game because Jesus, on purpose, who knows everything, shuffles his disciples into a boat and says, y'all got all on over to the other side. I'll see you guys in the morning, knowing he's sending them into a storm that could kill them, that would scare them. They are all seasoned fishermen who are, have been out on this lake, this oceanish lake type huge thing. And this, this storm could have killed them. It is deadly. It is life and death. But he shuffles them right on out there. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Why didn't he say, hey, there's a storm coming. Just wait till morning. We'll all go over together. He wasn't even going. No, no, no. He puts them in a terrorizing situation. <laughs> he puts them in it on purpose. Why? Well, we see why. We have one of the most amazing stories of the Bible. He starts walking on the water past them. And they see him and they think it's a ghost. And they, they thought they were dying before. And now they think they're dying. And they're going insane on the way out. And they start screaming, you know, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Which is just hard for us to imagine. Like grown men who were, they were tough guys. The disciples were tough guys. They were a bunch of Joshes. We keep talking about Josh. Josh, you're in the spotlight today. <laughs> <laughs> With his machine gun t-shirt on, I mean. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, so we, we, they were, these were our disciples. They weren't wimps. And, you know, they're, they're screaming like little girls. This is a bad deal. It's not fake fear. It's real deal. And, and but see, what happens is, do you know who this is for? This is for Peter. Because Peter is a disaster. Peter is impetuous. He won't shut up. He talks too much. He says a lot of the wrong things. He really is. He is, he's, he's overly emotional, which is not a good quality for a tough guy. You know, you expect him to be tough and brave and whatever. And Peter is extremely brave one minute. And then a, 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 the, the biggest wimp the next, he is the one who defies God. He is the one who betrays his best friend at the worst possible moment. He is the one who stabs God in the back. And yet God sees this guy and says, I'm going to make you, out of all these 12 disciples, I'm going to make you the rock on which the, the church is built. Why? Well, he's giving him a moment to shine. Because Peter, it's written in his heart somewhere, it has not been spoken. It is not written in scripture yet. But Peter in his heart is saying, I can do what Jesus does if I have faith in him. Jesus, let me do it. Jesus, let me walk on the water. You know, and Jesus is like, you know what? Faith is so important to me because we know that the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. He doesn't say without sin. He doesn't say a whole laundry list of other things that we focus on. He says without faith. So he's like, Peter, you're obnoxious. And you really broke my heart and stabbed me in the back because he already knows he's going to do it. But he's like, but your faith is better than everybody else's. And that's enough for me to work with, to build this rock, this church, the, the church that will last thousands of years and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Peter's the rock on which he builds it because of faith. 
the power of faith. You know, he doesn't, Peter doesn't shrink back from this thing. And the other 11 stay in the boat. So you got the one guy who's saying, I can do what Jesus did. And it's not even like it's some big um, spiritual victory walking on water. It's just like this is a cool adventure faith. You know, sometimes we think we're only supposed to use our faith for, you know, I, I don't know, whatever. But God's like, God loved the fact that he just wanted to have faith in, in Jesus for the impossible. Even something as trivial as walking on water. Listen, that's trivial, Right? But he, he, God loves faith. He loves faith. He loves faith. And here's the thing. The devil is always hoping that he can get you to believe that your faith and your ask, like Peter's ask, doesn't count for anything. If he could get you to believe that your faith and your ask doesn't really matter, then guess what? He will be right 100% of the time. Because if he gets you to believe it, then you don't have faith. The second you think your ask and your faith isn't enough, then you're now in agreement with Satan instead of what the Word of God says. Because Peter was not the pillar at that point. Peter was annoying at that point and difficult. But God loved him because he was, he was audacious and bold and he had faith. He was fearless. God loves fearlessness. He does. You know, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame, and I've talked about it many times, but it's the hall of fame of the miracle stories of all the ways that God used faith, and it's extraordinary. And you know what all those people had in common? There was no plan B. There's no safety net. There's no safety net when Peter got out of that boat. God does not have much respect for safety nets. He, he, Peter didn't say, I'm going to get out of the boat and I'm going to hang onto the edge and see how this thing works. See, that's what we want to do. Or we pray, God, calm the storm, make the storm go away. No, God wants us to get out in the middle of the storm, trust him in the middle, not cling to the side of the boat, but instead stay near to him. As long as we're close to Jesus, even if we falter for a minute, because we all know Peter faltered, he reached down and grabbed him and pulled him up. Your plan B, your safety net, is being close to him. It is, it, is, it is not how you feel. Faith is not how you feel. Faith is feeling the fear and trusting God. If you don't feel fear, you don't have to use faith. There is no faith. There is no faith needed. No faith required. So what's, there's no point for that. God puts us purposefully in places where we have to trust him and where we will fear, fear, feel fear, and yet we trust him anyway. Where the rubber hits the road. The separation from the men for the boys when it comes to faith is risk-taking. We take the risk when God tells us to do it. We do it hanging on to him. So then we come to, to step, what are we on? Step four. Step four. So we have to abandon fear. Got to tear down aisles. Got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Got to abandon fear. Have to operate out of faith. So then we have step four. What happens next? Judges 7 again. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. There's only 10,000. How can there still be too many? But he wants to make people sure people are genuinely operating in faith. He says, bring them down to the spring, and I'll test them to see who to, who to go and not to go. You guys can read that there for yourself. But what happens is, he says, whoever goes down and just puts their face in the water, kind of drinks it up like a, like a dog, laps it up, those people, send them home. Whoever drinks from their hand, those people tell them they can stay. And I can tell you that until I kind of had this whole thing about Gideon that happened recently to me, I was always like, why is that? I don't get that. I don't get that. What is that? Well, there ends up only being 300 people left. 
So we went from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. So why the way you drink water versus the way you drink water? Because, as the Lord revealed to me just recently in this whole thing, you put your face in the water. It's like, I am so thirsty. I'm only thinking about my physical needs. I'm only thinking about what I want. I'm only thinking... The one who does this and drink, they're saying, I'm vigilant. My first priority is not my own physical needs and thinking about what I think, what I want, what I feel, what I, 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 I. It's saying, my first priority is staying vigilant. I'm on guard. I'm a soldier. I am that, what they said earlier about being sober and vigilant at all times. And so it, he weeded them out again. And there was, listen, obviously, the people who, the people who both don't have fear and also have vigilance is 300 out of 32,000. If you will be that person, you will be a very small minority, but God can do extraordinary things with you. But here's the thing. This is, I'm going to camp on this for a minute because this is a problem in our, in our current church age. We've talked many times. This is, this is um, the church of Laodicea. Anybody who knows anything about end times, we know which church age we're in. We're in the, the last and final church age. There are seven church ages. They're spoken of in Revelation. They're divided up. It's, it's you know, if you study Revelation at all, there's no, there's, it's undebatable. So we're in this church age, and each church has an angel that's over that church age, which we will talk more about angels next time. But this angel, God has a message to this angel about the church, and this is our church. It says, there, here are the words of the, of the angel to the, to the church. I know your deeds. You're not hot. You're not cold. I wish you were one or the old, other. Either be on fire for me or be against me. But this lukewarm stuff, he says, because you're lukewarm, spiritually useless, and not hot or not cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth, rejecting you with disgust. That's our church age. Be careful when you go to church. Because if you're comparing yourself to what you see, you're going to think you're doing pretty good. And what God says about what our church age is, is not pretty good. He is very, he has some pretty harsh words to say about it. He says, because you say I'm rich, I have prospered and grow wealthy, which the whole world is, you know, compared to our economics in the past, our, the whole world is wealthy compared to what it used to be with modern technology. I have need of nothing. And you know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked without hope and in great need. Wait, he just said, you think you're rich. You don't think you need anything. You think you're doing just fine. And he says, but you're not. You're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, so I tell you, get gold from me. Get true riches from me. Get clothing of righteousness from me. And I will cover your shame and your nakedness. But they don't even know that they're ashamed. They, they don't even know they should be ashamed or naked. They think they're rich and amazing. I will put salve on your eyes so you can see spiritually again. You're very blind in the spirit realm, it's saying. Those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. I show them their faults and disciplines and their, and their shortcomings, which is what we're talking about here about dealing with our idols. So be enthusiastic and repent and change. Because anytime God corrects us, it's so he can bless us. Even when his rebuke is harsh, it's because he's trying to raise us up so he can give us a blessing that we desperately want. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm, I'm knocking. I'm right here. Like, I'm still here. I still want you. Even though you've behaved this way, I still want a relationship with you. But it's up to you. You have to do it. You have to open the door. You have to come in and eat. And I will eat with you. And whoever overcomes in the name of Jesus, we're going to sit at the throne, throne room of Christ. Listen, this is a really serious rebuke. And he, this is, there's, of all the other churches, he doesn't talk to any other church this way. We're the worst one of the whole gang. We're the worst one. So when we go to our churches, where we get dished up soft serve ice cream every Sunday, 
It's a diet of soft serve ice cream. If you lived on a diet of ice cream, what would happen to you? Well, what's happening to the church? What is this? What, is, what, what does our church look like? Look how evil is growing in our nation. As I've made the point over and over again, clearly, we are not functioning as we were meant to function, and we're not, and we're not going to. We are material, the, the materialism is such a problem, and I'm, I'm not going to harp on this, but I just, since we, we talked about how they're just like, I'm rich, I look good, I feel good, I don't have any, I'm fine, I'm good. And he's like, no, you're not, not in my eyes. You see you the way you want to see you, and you guys all pat each other on the back, but I reject you. And, and what does it say about, I just wanted to say this, materialism in our church, ugh. It says, if a man comes into your meeting place wearing a gold ring, and this is James 2, 2 through 4, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in dirty clothes also comes in, and you pay special attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, hey, sit here in this place of honor, and you tell the poor guy, stand over there, sit on the floor, have you not discriminated amongst yourself and become judges with wrong motives? And another translation says it's evil. We are, we have, and I've said this before, but the, the church has become a business when it was supposed to be a body. And those who donate get special treatment. That's disgusting. As soon as you give special treatment to somebody who pays donations, you have now made that person your God. That's the person who's providing, not God. Listen, you stand up to that person. If they're, if they're unholy or ungodly or standing on a wrong principle and they're trying to spread that, they're trying to say, here, sell your soul. We're going to make this donation and then you just kind of agree with this. You know what? That has become your idol and God has left the building. God has left the building. And that's going on all the time in our churches. And our churches are powerless. So God gives us correction to give us life. God gives us correction to give us power. He's addressing the heart issue here with the church of Laodicea, which is, which is our church age. And our hearts, he's saying, your heart has become dead. We all know, second your ticker stock's working, you're dead. People's spiritual hearts are frozen. They're hard-hearted. They're getting more and more so. And, and people are dying spiritually, and they're just, they just keep going. So we have this. At the, this Revelation is the very last book in the, in the Old Testament, I mean, the New Testament. But interestingly enough, the very, so God's saying you're complacent. God's saying you're lazy. God's saying you have become dead of heart. And I am disgusted by that because you have every opportunity to live in the fullness of the power, but you don't. But interestingly enough, you have the exact same message in Malachi. That's the last book in the Old Testament. That's the last book in the Old Testament. And I just wanted, this is Malachi 3, 7 through 9. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you scorned my decrees and failed to obey me. Now return to me. He's always, he's always correcting us because he wants to be close to us, right? That's what he said to the church of Laodicea too. He's like, I want you back. But, you, but he does not take us back on our terms. He takes us back on his terms. He's like, you have to change. We talked about boundaries. God says, I have boundaries. You have to change. So you've got you've to return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord. But you ask, how can we return to you? We've never gone away. See, this is what we do. I haven't gone anywhere. What are you talking about? I'm right here, God. I, I go to church on Sunday. I, you know, whatever list of things you say you do. He's like, no, no, you're not fervent for me. You're not fervent for me. And then God says, should people cheat God? You've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When will we ever cheat you? Do you see how innocent we are in our own eyes? We have no idea. Deer in the headlights. Oh, I don't, I'm not. I didn't. I'm not. I don't. What are you talking about, God? As if we can be right against God. But we are so self-righteous that we are right in our own eyes against God. We say he's the one who's done wrong. Like Gideon. Like, here, no, God, you're, we didn't leave you. You left us. No. He says, you've cheated me. You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole family has been cheating me. Do you realize God puts us under curses? That's a curse that God put, put them under. You're under a curse. Now, what he does is he opens the door for Satan to come in and kill, steal, destroy. He says, you're under a curse because you've cheated me. And now Satan can come in and kill, steal, destroy. But he, he lifts the barrier. 
to, your, to the thing. Malachi 1.13, it says the same. You say, it's too hard to serve God. And you turn up your noses at my commands. Why is it hard? Because I don't want to have to do everything the way God tells me to do it. And by the way, if you go to the church of Laodicea, they'll tell you you don't have to. They'll tell you you don't have to. God doesn't care. He, he doesn't care. You, you just stay exactly the way you are. No, you come as you are. And then the Spirit of God is to change you. We never stay as we are. But he says, he says, think of the animals that are stolen and crippled and sick and being presented as offerings. Should I accept such offerings as these? Asked the Lord. Cursed is the cheat. Okay, here it is, a curse. There's a curse. Who promises to give these things to God. He says, and they're, but they're defective. You give me defective things. You give me scraps. You give me leftovers. He says, I am a great king. I am the Lord of heaven's army. And my name is feared among the nations. And you throw me scraps? Are you kidding? Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithes to the storehouse so there will be enough food in the temple. If you do, says the Lord, I'll open up the windows of heaven. See, he's, he's correcting us so he can bless us. And, and this is an example of the tithe. And he goes on to tell you all the ways. He says, put me to the test. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. But this is, this is an act of faith. The point of this is that what God is saying is people have become apathetic. People have become lazy in their faith. People have become mundane. Christianity has become mundane. And if Christianity, if you are apathetic about your faith, if you, and by the way, tithing is kindergarten of faith. He's like, oh, congratulations, you're not a cheat now. This isn't even about tithing. This is, he's just like, he's saying the point is you're not giving me your best. You are giving me junk, and I am offended, and you have opened the door to a curse to your own household because you give me junk. And this is not, and God says, if you will give me the best, look at what I want to bless you with. Look at what I want to pour out for you. Look at how I want to give to you. But he says, you don't trust me enough to give me a little. You know, and he says, when you don't, you're cheating me. Well, what do we, you know, it might not be tithing. It might be time with him. It might not be tithing. It might be relationships. That our relationships get our best. Not God. Wh whatever you're most emotionally tied to, you'll know the truth about yourself and God. You will know. And it is a great injustice when we value the gift over the giver. The Bible tells us that every good gift comes from God. And we constantly value his gifts more than we value him. And that's so cruel to him. And we're lazy in our faith. See, we have gotten so paranoid about being legalistic, which, by the way, legalism is a bad thing. But we've gone into another ditch. We've become so paranoid about being legalistic that we have raised up and patted on the little diapered bottoms of a bunch of Christians who never grow up. And they stay immature. And they're lazy. And they don't put God first. And then they lie to themselves and they say, God has failed me. I, I, it's God. It's God's fault. And he's just like, no, it is not my fault. I am die I stand at the door and knock. I'm dying to be able to bless you like this. I want to show myself powerful on your, your behalf. But you're lazy and apathetic about your faith. The scripture it says, the, the person lazy in their work is as bad as someone who destroys things. When we are lazy with our relationship with God, we're, we are as bad as someone who's trying to destroy the gospel. That's what this says. See, when we are a lazy, apathetic Christian, we embolden those who want to destroy the gospel. We give credit to them. Look at those Christians. Really not different than me. Look at those Christians. There's no power. Look at the... We are equal with those who try to destroy. We damage God's reputation when we're lazy in our faith. We, God has a reputation and we represent him. And our laziness damages him. We are brother to those who destroy. So you've got, a zeal you've got three people. A zealous, fervent Christian. 
a lazy Christian and someone who wants to destroy Christianity. And the Bible says the two that have the most alike, the grade school thing, what two have the most alike, are the lazy Christian and the destroyer. We think that the fervent Christian and the lazy Christian are most alike. No, they're not. Lazy Christian, you're not in that camp. You're in the camp with the one who wants to destroy the gospel. You are helping that. You are furthering that. Zealous faith leads to power and miracles and freedom and blessing. Lazy faith leads to destruction. And that is just the truth. We, he says, honor me as the Lord that I am, the lordship that I deserve. His commandments connect us to freedom. His commandments connect us to power. Doing things his way gives us a blessing unlike anything we could ever do for ourselves. And, and the thing is, when we give into those sins, the very gift that he gave us, he's like, be careful, you're going to lose it. I'll show you an example. Jesus had just healed somebody. He had, been, he had been lame and crippled for 38 years. Jesus healed him. Then a little while later, he sees the guy out and about, and he says in John 5, 14, afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, you better stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Not just that you're going to lose your miracle, but it's even going to be worse than before. Um, God holds us to standards very high. He's... And that's not legalism, that's the gospel. See, we've watered down the gospel so it's become powerless. And you go to church and you don't get the gospel and there is no power. When was the last time you saw a healing in your church on Sunday morning? Because they're supposed to be happening all the time. When was the last time you saw someone who was being tormented by the demonic, which we will get to that, but believe me, people are tormented and in bondage and tortured and their hearts hurt. And they're imprisoned to demons. When's the last time you saw that demon flee? It's ice cream. It's Sunday morning ice cream service. It's children's church. And by the way, children can have great faith, so I don't even want to demean the children. But, but the point is, we got to get serious. There's a reason there's not power, and it's not that God has failed us. So we pick back up with Gideon. So... He's dealt with the fearful, and he's dealt with the complacent and the apathy. Now he can finally do something powerful. He had to get rid of idols, had to be filled with the Holy Spirit, had to get rid of fear, had to get rid of apathy. Now he can give us a miracle. See, we're always just like, God, I have faith. God, I believe. God, why aren't you doing it? He's like, because you haven't done no, you think it's like, we, we have made faith. I hear sermons on faith all the time, and I love hearing sermons on faith. It blesses me, it encourages me, it strengthens me, but they only tell you half the story. Just believe, just believe. Well, belief, absolutely, no question. But don't act like you can live with your idols, you can worship your idols, you can live in complacency, you can live in sin, you can do all this stuff, and then, like God said to the, to the man who was healed, and then said, be careful, not only am I going to take your healing, but it's going to be worse. Come on, that's not fair to God. You represent God as a powerless God, and then you blame him for not I mean, this isn't fair to God. I think we need to defend God's reputation here. It's us, not him. You know, so, so here we are. We finally get the miracle. So he says, divide the 300 men left into three groups, Give them a ransom, give them a jar, give them a torch. And then keep your eyes on me. And then you start to, basically, here's, here's what we're going to do. Everybody go get your Bic lighter. <laughs> grab, I got this little horn here that I don't know how to blow, but grab, blow your horn and go get a serving platter out of your kitchen. And now, if this, is, this is what it's like. This room, us, taking on the whole entire Chinese army. That's the same ratio, okay? So go home, get your Bic lighter, grab one of these if you can find one or just anything will do, and then get a, a, a serving platter, and we're going to go beat the Chinese army. Let's go. <laughs> this is our war strategy. We got this. We got this. No, here's the thing, and this is the truth. The war strategy of God, well, this is a very similar war strategy of, 
of um, Jericho walls, remember? Same thing, you get some pottery, you, you don't talk for a couple of days, which, you know, it's probably like, oh, silence is bliss. I'm so sick of listening to those Israelites complain. The one, just shut up. I'll do the miracle, <laughs> you know. But so, you know, you get some pottery again, and you just, and you're quiet, and then you shout. So you've got shouting and pottery and Bic lighters and, yeah, some random stuff. And here we go. We're going to win this battle. We're going to beat the Chinese. Come on, guys. That is exactly the same thing. You know why? Because you know what the worst strategy is? Faith and obedience. It's impossible. This was impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Just like when Moses raised his little stick over the, over the water. Yep, that's going to part the, the giant Red Sea. This is our strategy. No, because it's faith and obedience that the strategy is. It's the, it's the little tiny stone against Goliath from a child. You know? I mean, it's the savior of the world being tortured and murdered to save the world. These things, see, the, the, the facts don't add up, but the truth does. And we're always saying, but how? How? Can you imagine? Like, okay, come on, gang. We're just going to go take on the Chinese army right now. How? How will this work? I'll tell you how. My favorite verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Stop leaning on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God, submit to him, and he will direct your path and he'll make it straight. You know what? We're way too much in our heads. We're way too much about how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? How is this going to work out? How am I going to fix? He's like, just like, with the, like the, when they circled Jericho, he's like, shut up. Stop having what you're going to do and your new strategy and your new, you know, it's like you're in the little rab, lab rat, just like, you know, over the, the, the cauldron or that thing, you know, smoke and just like, I'm going to add this, I'm going to do this, and it's going to explode. And, and the more we try, the worse it gets because we're putting systems in place. That's what the world does. The world puts systems in place. We have the most ridiculous we have the most ridiculous game plan, but it's given to us by God, and it's the most extraordinary victory, and he gets all the glory. It routes every army. It, so, so we have another story. Again, I'm doing Old and New Testament together because I think it's very important. You prove it everywhere. Loaves and fish. You got 5,000 men and about you know, 20,000 women and children, and you got five loaves and three fish, and the math doesn't add up. Miracles don't add up. That's the whole point. We're in impossible situations. That's the whole point. And at the end of that whole thing, you have 12 huge baskets left for each, each, of, the, each of the disciples. I mean, God doesn't just do it. He does it in abundance. He does it with extraordinary blessing. He, he does the miracle. He's going to do it so much better than you think. He's going to... They, they, you're, but you're going to have to trust him. But you're going to have to lay some things down. You are going to have to kill some idols. And it's going to be scary. It's interesting, just my sweet little friend Karen and I were just talking the other day. And um, both of our parents are going through um, cancer right now, cancer treatment. And we were both talking about it. And we talked about how a lot of times God's solutions are scary. They're scary. On purpose, so we have faith, because if, if they're not scared, we don't have, faith isn't required. But, you know, we were just talking, and she was saying, you know, think about, think about Jonah and the whale. That whale saved him. Can you imagine how scary? You know, think about Daniel and the lion's den. The solution that's going to take care of all your problems, Daniel, and these enemies that have been driving you crazy is, we're going to throw you in the lion's den to die. I mean, it, God's solutions, you can't fathom them. Queen Esther, see... Step five, and the final step is how? The question, the answer is how? The answer is, first of all, you're going to get out of your own head. Stop trying to figure it out. And second of all, you have to be 100% in. See, these people got great miracles. Their life was on the line. It was do or die. You can't be halfway. You can't be vacillating back and forth. You can't be whining. You can't be, you got to be in like a warrior. You've got to be fierce. You've got Esther who said, if I perish, I perish. She's like, I'm in. And it could be the death of me. 
You've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got the absolute miracle, and they were defiant. And I think sometimes we have lost our defiance against evil. We've lost our backbone, we've lost our grip, our grit, and we've lost defiance. They were so defiant against this thing. You know, this, the scripture says that the, the guy that was going to kill them, the Pharaoh that was going to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he made it seven times hotter. We all know the story. The men who tried to throw him in died. And he said, you better worship these idols. This is how defiant they were against idols. This is how defiant we should be against the idols in our own life. We should be defiant against them. He says, he said, you better, you better worship. He said, or I'm going to kill you. He said, maybe so. But our God, who we serve, is able to rescue us from the furnace. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods and we're not going to worship any idols. They're defiant. Even to the point of, of torturous death, they're defiant against their idols. And we, I feel like we've turned into some hippy-dippies here in the church. You know? Like, literally, we are too, we are. Where's the backbone? Where's the defiance? That's, that's where the miracles take place. We're, we're too loosey-goosey. So, my final thing that I want to say is, what I hear most, I hear this all the time. I hear all the time, I'm lonely. I don't have a purpose. My life is wasted. I'm not important. I haven't amounted to anything. I'm blah, 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 blah. I need you to know that never, 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 never a life that is fully devoted to God ever will that be the story. Can't be. He defies himself. Wait, the Bible says... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet. Before you were born. Then it says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wait, you're saying that God isn't true to his word? You're saying your life is blah, 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 blah? Let me tell you something. You need to go back through the steps because God's, God will never waste a life that has torn down idols, that does not operate out of fear, but out operates out of faith, that isn't complacent and lazy, but is a fervent Christian, you think God's going to waste that? And is fully devoted? So you need to go back through the steps, because it is not God. If you feel that way, it ain't him. Problem isn't him. You need to go back. Go back through steps one, two, three, four. And just like the other scriptures that I read, very easy for us to be like, but God, we didn't leave you. But God, we're, we're, we're this. We're, we're wealthy. We're this. We're that. We don't see ourselves. So we say God isn't powerful anymore. God has wasted me. God has no. Go back. Look at Gideon. Figure out where you've lost your way. Are you lazy? Are you fully devoted to him? Fully? Do or die? Life or death? Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Are you, go back. Where is the mistake? God has promised us that he's roaming the whole earth. He wants to show himself mighty on your behalf, on my behalf. He says, and you know the thing we do is we say, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not this, I'm not that. Again, the problem with that sentence is the word I. See, Gideon was not. Gideon, he was the worst. He was the worst in his family, the worst clan, the worst, didn't have a thing, didn't. I mean, the list of things he wasn't. And, and by the way, that's who God chooses. People who go to God and say, hey, I'm this. He's just like, yeah, I can't use that. Sorry. I oppose the proud. So we're not going to be able to work together. It's those who say, I just, God, all I have is whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. It's the people who think it's who they are and what they have to offer. Well, uh, you got a pride problem. So, you know, uh, don't think it's what you have to offer. That's going to be a problem for you. You definitely can never get used that way. And if you do, it's something you're doing, not something God's doing. So 
that's a good thing that you're not. But that's not supposed to be our focus. Our focus is who he is. What he is. He will use a piece of pottery, a, a big lighter, and a blow horn to defeat. I mean, that's what he needs. That's who he is. He is faithful in power. He is faithful. He is faithful regardless of how impossible. But it might take a while. Abraham and Sarah, listen, if it doesn't happen right away, just stay in faith. Abraham and Sarah, every single month, Sarah knew she was a disappointment. For 80 years. Sometimes, but, but here's the thing. We can't say, oh, it's me. Like if she would have made it all about her, and the time she did make it about her, it was way worse. Or, or she might say, or, or she might be like, God, you failed me, or God, I'm failing you. If you're really walking with God, can you just trust him and give him and let it be? But make sure that you are taking these things before God. Listen, the purpose of this Bible study, you guys know the purpose of this Bible study. We have a million churches, and I never in a million years wanted to do this. So I never wanted to do this. You guys know that. It is torture for me to do this. If you guys only knew, I am on fire with a zeal. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to feed people meat. If we don't get meat and vegetables, we are dying. And he doesn't need a lot of people. Gideon is a proof. He doesn't even want a lot of people. Because then they'll think it's them. And he wants people who don't think they have much to offer, but know that if they will do these steps, he will do it. And sometimes we have things that have been in our lives for so long. I'm depressed. My mother was depressed. My grandmother was depressed. My great-grandmother, my, you know, I, whatever it is, it's always been. There's alcoholism. It's always been this way. Or whatever it is, it's always been this way. God, this is your truth. This is the gospel. Lord, it's irrefutable because it is written in black and white. We looked at lots of scriptures you will not fail us, God. You're the God of the impossible. You've told us over and over again in scripture, nothing is impossible for me. Don't ever think something's impossible. But you're going to need to follow my ways. Lord, now speak to us, God. Lord, what do you want us to believe for? Lord, what do you want us to sacrifice our idols for? What do you want us to be fearless about? What do you want us to let go of apathy and laziness and rise up as a well-trained warrior of faith to defeat the enemy and to further the kingdom of God? Lord, I thank you that your heart is to bless us and prosper us and to fill us with your spirit and to give us every good gift. So Lord, speak to us now, we pray, God, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.